No, it comes from um, a Latin word for rumor. So it was more about talking about people behind their backs. And so that's how people get famous because you're only famous when other people talk about you uh, kind of behind your back and then they begin to make things up about you because they happen to care a little too much about <laughs> what's going on with you. And so then it gets tied to your imagination somehow and you have to, you know, um, build a whole other world based on this person existing. everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 23, our last of 2016. I'm Jamie Berger, and I'm getting over a nasty little chest cold, so pardon my voice. Before I tell you about today's conversation, I want to share with you a piece of literature that I've been wanting to share ever since we started and that came up in the conversation. <clears throat> so, without further ado, here is uh, Argentinian or Argentine 20th century author Jorge Luis Borges short, short story called Borges and I. The other one the one called Borges, is the one things happen to. I walk through the streets of Buenos Aires and stop for a moment, perhaps mechanically now, to look at the arch of an entrance hall and the grill work on the gate. I know of Borges from the mail and see his name on a list of professors or in a biographical dictionary. I like hourglasses, maps, 18th century typography, the taste of coffee, and the prose of Stevenson. He shares these preferences, but in a vain way that turns them into the attributes of an actor. It would be an exaggeration to say that ours is a hostile relationship. I live, let myself go on living, so that Borges may contrive his literature, and this literature justifies me. It is no effort for me to confess that he has achieved some valid pages, but those pages cannot save me, perhaps because what is good belongs to no one, not even to him, but rather to the language and to tradition. Besides, I am destined to perish, definitively, and only some instant of myself can survive in him. Little by little, I am giving over everything to him, though I am quite aware of his perverse custom of falsifying and magnifying things. Spinoza knew that all things long to persist in their being. The stone eternally wants to be a stone, and the tiger a tiger. I shall remain in Borges, not in myself, if it is true that I am someone. But I recognize myself less in his books than in many others, or in the laborious strumming of a guitar. 
Years ago, I tried to free myself from him and went from the mythologies of the suburbs to the games with time and infinity. But those games belong to Borges now, and I shall have to imagine other things. Thus, my life is a flight, and I lose everything, and everything belongs to oblivion, or to him. I do not know which one of us has written this page. Again, that's Jorge Luis Borges, Borges and I. My guest today is Cameron Bossert. We met right before the election when Anya and I were in New York uh, for a photo shoot for her Grab Him by the Ballot photo project. Uh, He and his father were kind enough to lend us the use of their studio in Bushwick for the weekend for the shoot. Huge thanks one more time to Robin and Cameron Bossert. If you happen somehow not to know uh, what the Grab Him by the Ballot photo project was about, please check out uh, episode 17 of this here podcast or go to anyashutz.com. That's A-N- J-A-S-C-H-U-T-Z dot com. On Sunday evening, when I was to return the key to Cameron, I ended up, uh, we ended up being out for a while for a drink, and then I gave him a ride home, and we had a great conversation that ended up on fame and made plans to talk about it. Those plans were interrupted by the fucking election, but... At the end of November, he called me up, and we had a great talk. He's a filmmaker, and his first feature, called Utah, will be hitting the festival circuit in 2017. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Cameron. How you doing? All right. How are you, man? All right. Um, so, hello. Hello. It's been, uh, it's been the change of an era it, <laughs> since it, it we has. talked. It has indeed. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll do an intro telling people how we met. Yeah. Um, but uh, unless you'd like to, or but I think we well, you, go ahead. Well, no, because, I mean, we met uh, under circumstances that are depressing to think about now only because of the, uh, well, I don't know. It didn't work. Can I say that? Or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it did a lot of good for a lot of people, but. It was great. And, I mean, she won the popular vote. So uh, maybe it did. Maybe it did work. And something else didn't work. I don't know. There's all sorts of postmortem about this stuff. But, of course, uh, I can't. I can't watch anything or look at anything that had to do with uh, the kind of um, excitement that a lot of us had uh, about the prospect of what should have happened with that whole situation. Yes. I love the evasive way that we're speaking about the election. Yeah. That, that which cannot be spoken of, but must be spoken of. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, so because I hardly know you, uh, except for what I've you've told me and what I've looked up on the interwebs, 
why don't you tell us a little bit of, of why you wanted to, to talk to me and what 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 insights you have into this into fame so yeah we were talking about fame and it turned out that you had a podcast about fame and um i guess uh i had some kind of armchair uh expertise <laughs> on it or a lot of thoughts about it and i it turns out i was wrong about some stuff because you know i was like oh, well, if i'm going to if i'm going to actually talk and uh, about it in, in, a, in a format that some a couple people might hear. Um, I guess uh, I should look it up to make sure that what I said to you in the car was accurate. And of course, much to my chagrin, it wasn't. It was like something that somebody else had told me that made a lot of sense. But what I yeah, what I was telling you in the car, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I haven't heard this before. And now I know why you <laughs> hadn't heard it before. Uh, was that fame? The word fame is somehow derived from like the Italian word fame, like hunger. Because uh, I think you were talking about fame and some of the things that you would learn from talking to people on your podcast about it, about the concept and how there's this kind of, um, this hunger that the public has for certain individuals. We're hungry to see more of them or learn more about them. And I was like, well, you know, Jamie, yeah. <laughs> actually the word comes from fame, which means hunger. Uh, in Italian, which is something somebody told me years ago and always made sense because I'd heard examples of particularly famous people relayed to me about their kind of behavior uh, and what it was like to be around them, like the way they would stare at people and sort of see if they could grab things from them in terms of like, well, what am I, like these kinds of famous people who were like, well, what what else can I be good at or what else could I um can I just suck energy and power and talent from others and just sort of conglomerate myself into an even more superhuman? <laughs> um, so this theory that a lot of like hugely famous people kind of, you know, scavenge all these talents from me you know, and, and suck energy from other people kind of made sense. So they're hungry too and people are hungry for them. Uh, so it made sense, but apparently that's just a, uh, a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is fame even Italian for hunger? It is. That, that's, that's true. But, but famous doesn't come from there. No, it comes from um, a Latin word for rumor. Aha. So it was more about talking about people behind their backs. And so that's how people get famous because you're, you're only famous when other people talk about you uh, kind of behind your back and then they begin to make things up about you because they happen to care a little too much about <laughs> what's going on with you. And so then it gets tied to your imagination somehow and you have to, you know, um, build a whole other world based on this person existing. And if you're not famous, people just kind of talk about like what happened with you if you're in their if you know, if you're in their lives and kind of just leave it at the basics. But once rumors start, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very interest. That that's very interesting as well. Uh, and I keep meaning to read a piece that I will in this episode read called "I Believe Borges and I," that Jorge Luis Borges wrote about himself uh, and the public Borges out in the world and how they relate to each other. You also, uh, I mean, in terms of how you've had experienced this actual thing, tell us what you do. 
Uh, I'm a filmmaker, you know, and uh, and it's a kind of feast or famine <laughs> thing, meaning uh, uh, so, you know, you're either making videos and putting them online or you make a movie and it gets popular somehow. And uh, so, yeah, and I worked with famous people um, before I struck out on my own. Um, yeah. Without naming names, because I don't like this isn't my goal is not to be gossipy, but there was an idea you talked about, and that is you you well related to the fame thing, but also to certain people or a person you've worked with who is very famous, and the difference between being an actor and being a celebrity and being able to just have this kind of charisma where you can get that one take. That one magical moment, and that interested me about the larger-than-life quality of, of people, that they can hit that one take. That's true, yeah, and I've heard it, so it doesn't really matter whether or not I say the name of this particular person that I had contact with, because I've heard other people say the same thing about people who are, are similarly famous, um, especially film editors know this better than anybody else, because they're the ones that have to sift through the material and piece together these movie star performances. Um, and so, yeah, there are certain people who do have just this magnetic charisma, uh, that doesn't necessarily lend itself to being in the moment and, and really, uh, finding a character arc and doing subtle things. But if you have a director who's not afraid or has some kind of authority with them through respect or whatever, on set that they can keep pushing them until, you know, take five or take seven. Then they, they finally click onto something because something has gotten through. Um, it's yeah, it's, but they, but they don't, they don't show up prepared and having, th I mean, I think they do. <laughs> Maybe they're like, Oh yeah, really? I've thought about this character so much, but they haven't thought about it in the way that's that a trained actor necessarily uh, does their homework. I mean, acting I've learned for the years, like is, uh, is not, uh, you know, it's, it takes homework and all that stuff. Um, and, and it's not the kind of work that a lot of movie stars really seem to necessarily understand. Um, and, uh, and I've seen it like people not show up, knowing their lines even. I mean, you think that's really basic, but some people, they're very famous and they're like, well, yeah, we do takes and stuff. And even though they've been in movies for years and years, they show up not knowing their, their lines, but they're very charismatic. And so people keep hiring them because they're famous and they're charismatic and they'll help the box office draw and stuff. I guess they're, they're also used to bigger budgets where they can just do take after take as your light is fading <laughs> and you're, 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 yeah, on a low budget. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a scene where it was in the middle of, uh, it was like at the end of October. And so the sunlight was as quick as could be. And this person didn't know their lines and, uh, uh, it's just, just very annoying. So then you only end up with a couple of usable takes um but uh yeah so but then and then you you hire the the small people that nobody recognizes and they're just totally with it and they know their shit and they're on top of it 
and um, they don't. I mean, some of them rise to the level of fame, and yeah. But there are huge movie stars who I think there's like a weird thing about like the proportion of one's head to one's body. If you have a particularly large head, I've heard that, that because it's like more expressive. It's like uh, you know, there's more mileage to an eyebrow raise because like there's just so much more surface covered that you're communicating an emotion a little bit quicker without having to necessarily quote unquote telegraph it. It's just your face is larger. I've heard, and it makes sense. It makes enough sense. You know, you think about Tom Cruise, huge head. That's what I was, that's the first person I was thinking of actually, because he has such a big face. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, maybe there's something to the fact that he's got a huge face and a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of confidence and so i don't know i mean but it's interesting i mean paul thomas anderson was able to take that and make it into something more nuanced or make a commentary on those aspects of tom cruise's personality and like magnolia and really turn it into something it's interesting to see when directors can take movie stars and and like kind of experiment with what go to what they do really, really well instead of just having their movie starness be in some role and pretend that they're an actor when they're really kind of an amateur actor <laughs> in one way who's like a professional movie star. Yeah, and especially in Magnolia, it's also it's it's all it's kind of somehow commenting on Tom Cruise. Exactly. And on celebrity and power. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, and he does it with with other people and and I mean Adam Sandler is really interesting. I mean Punch Drunk Love, he really got a great performance out of him, but he used all that strange nebbishy stuff. He used Adam Sandler's bag of tricks, you know, as they say an actor has uh to to really do something interesting. It was like using that as a tool to do a different kind of more serious character than Adam Sandler had done before. And then since like Adam Sandler has done more, uh, serious roles. And I think he's always really good. And he seems like he's like, he's like a really good actor actually. And that he just happens to do all this like grownups two, three, four, five <laughs> instead to, uh, you know, but, um, I think he has like, he has like a, a network of people to support since he started getting famous. This is from, this is like kind of hearsay of what I know from people that Adam Sandler has like a huge posse of people kind of, and he's a good guy and he likes to help people and he started supporting other people. And, and I think maybe it got a, it got away from him a little bit. Like, so the reason why he has to do these huge budget things, it's not because he's, just a greedy asshole who's like, well, yeah, I just care about the money, even though I'm a good actor and I could do little things a lot. I'm just going to do this because I like money. I think when he started to get wealthy, he, he like shared it <laughs> with people who then became dependent a little bit on that. And so it's actually because he's a good guy <laughs> that he goes for the paycheck. So you, you know, we were talking about indie movies trying to get a big a big name to help boost. You're just finishing your, you know, your first, uh, are you still in post-production of your first? 
Yes, I am. Yeah, my first real feature. I mean, I made a mumblecore movie a few years ago that was like an hour and change long. It was just me, a camera, and actors. We just ha- hired a sound guy, so the whole movie cost a thousand dollars. And uh, it's called The Last Forty Eight. Uh, it's on Vimeo, <laughs> um, and it's uh, you know it screened well. Audiences really dug it uh, when we showed it to them, but you know it's uh, it's not really marketable. Um, and, uh, but I finished this other film that I shot over the summer called Utah, um, about Jews in Utah. And, uh, so, and it's a, you know, it's a feature comedy, it's a narrative. Um, and, uh, yeah, there aren't, there aren't any famous people in it. So, uh, that's why the title has to be like, you know, memorable and kind of gets the point across. <laughs> you directed and, and you wrote it with your, your main partner in, in your company, right? Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Rich, he, uh, he grew up Jewish in Utah. So he had this idea of, um, making a film called Utah <laughs> years ago. Because uh, people kept saying, oh, well, dude, that's really interesting. You grew up Jewish in Utah. You should do something with that because you're an actor and you seem to want to m- generate your own material. Why don't you do that? So um, after several years working on that by himself, uh, we started working together. And his wife, Stacy, were these three business partners. We have a little production company in Brooklyn. And uh, what are you called? It's called Third Wing, uh, Third Wing Limited. Uh, yeah. And so I, um, I was like, yeah, that would be really fun to direct and have you act in it. Cause he's a fantastic actor and you know, he's doing the, the law and order madam secretary circuit. He's a working actor. He's in commercials that are like national and stuff. So it's, it's strange. So like this, there's a whole contingency of people who like get really good work and then nothing for a while like so it's 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 tough and so everybody starts to generate their own material that's kind of the way things are going instead of like i don't i don't know if this used to happen as much you know 20 30 years ago because there wasn't like this the video internet where people would i think it used to be people would just like audition audition do theater do theater, audition, do some theater, and that was it, and just wait to get plucked um, someday. Um, but now, A, it's, it's, it's like, so the, the, the cheapness of being able to do theater in New York, for example, has been replaced by the cheapness of being able to make your own videos and your own movies. So people complain, oh man, we used to be able to do like repertory stuff, and we would do all these plays, uh, week after week, but now you can't afford the space anymore. So that's fallen apart. So you, you're not acting as much, which, uh, is sad, but then I'm just realizing now it's like been replaced by, you can get a really good camera and your own editing software and bring everybody together and, you know, sort of trade skills and make, make a short or make a, make a feature like we did just me and a camera and a sound guy. Um, and you can actually get that in front of people, um, easier than you could, uh, and then hope that, yeah, people pick it up or, or see your face or something. Yeah. Yes, of course. And it's a step, you know, you get to create your, what you want to create. And then if it doesn't get picked up, it's still a step along the way. Right. Right. 
I, I was just participated in a uh, in a Leonard Cohen tribute uh, night last night. I emceed it, and I actually sang a couple songs. And I, so I did a little bit of homework to, to emcee it to give some facts. And I and I knew he, you know, I knew his poetry, and I knew him as a writer as well as a songwriter. But I didn't realize that it was a, you know, a decade of actually being a, a published poet with number of books under his his under his whatever before he started trying to sing professionally. And that it was, you know, 30 years from when he started singing to when he made Hallelujah. 27 years, I think. So so it, it takes time. Yeah, I remember hearing like uh, Bob Dylan asked him how long it took him to write Hallelujah. And he was like, oh, seven years or something like that. And he was like, how long did it take you to write such and such? And he was like, five minutes. And they're like, okay, well, there's two ways of doing it. Yeah. And two different egos as well. Yeah. <laughs> it it might have taken more than five minutes. So in making Juta, did you consider trying to get a celebrity cameo, like a, a Bashemi cameo or, you know, yeah. something like that? To, yeah. Did you try? Yes, we did. Uh, when we were trying to raise, there were two budgets for this movie. One was like, you know, half a million dollars based on some people who had read the script. And the other was, well, we'll just say a lot smaller than that. And, uh, and while we were trying to raise for this other amount we went to uh we tried to get jason alexander in it um because we had a connection to him we had several connections to him so we knew that we could get the idea in front of him really quickly and he he was he was super gracious he was great he like 12 hours he got back he read the synopsis got kind of an idea of what it was he was like no it's not for me whatever i was like okay great um because some you know some people would string you along or they wouldn't even give you the time of day and when he said no, it was like, um, it was disappointment, but at the exact same time, it was like relief because we're like, okay, well, that's not a question in our minds anymore. And let's turn the page and let's move forward and see what to actually do. Um, that, I mean, we didn't, yeah. So did, did that define just switching to the smaller budget or were there, there were other factors? Emotionally, I think it was like, oh, you know what? Like. It, it kind of forced us to be, I don't know, because um, he was the only one that we really wanted to do that part. We didn't want it. Well, wait, it doesn't make sense. Jason Alexander for a movie about Jews and you? Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, and the way that we like conceived the character, and and also the the quality of acting that we needed. It was it was also because once again to the point of some people are movie stars and some people are famous and some people have real chops. And Jason Alexander is one of those people who it's like they see Seinfeld and they think he just went on and was himself and was crazy and neurotic and then went home. It's not true at all. He is he does homework and he does he he gets everything right. I, I saw him in the in the, the Broadway show when he took over for Larry David. And there's not there's not a single moment of his performance that isn't both like hilarious, like the exact right size it needs to be. Uh, in terms of the comedy, in terms of playing to a huge theater, but also like super grounded and you're watching a man go through psychological uh, things and emotional things and being in the moment and wondering, what the fuck is going on? Like you believe him every minute and yet it's large enough to fill a space and carry you along like you're being carried along by a professional. You know, it's great. Those are the moments that, you know, I, that if if people who've never seen theater, you know, I I've always I grew up, 
in Albany, but going down to the city to theater, see theater. And then I, I did, you know, I acted. And so I always had touch with it. But if you haven't seen it, it's hard to explain what that feels like when someone is so. Yeah. Seeing people do their job really well is, is like part, it becomes like half of the pleasure of seeing something. Um, yeah. When you're not, when you're not worried about, <laughs> um, yeah, watching live performances sometimes it's like you're half like wondering, oh, I wonder what they're going through and like, are they okay? Like, and and I assume you know I've only been on a couple of sets in my life, but until you've been on a set, you also don't know how different a job that is. Yeah, well, they're they're yeah. both professional jobs, no no question. But yeah, well, it reminds me um, of when I was I was on the set of the remake of the Taking of Pelham One Two Three back in 2008 and they were shooting that in a soundstage Denzel Washington you know he's he plays the everyman who gets thrown into an extraordinary situation and I remember the the Gene Hackman character right I don't know you know what I don't know if I saw the original I saw the French oh I've only seen the original yeah I saw the French connection recently so I was like oh wait a minute they really changed that story no I think I've only seen I've only seen the 2008 version unfortunately but it was funny because um, seeing Denzel Washington act in real life, uh, it was very strange because they do the scene where it's, they go, action! And then he runs into the room to answer the phone call from the guy who's holding everybody hostage. And he's like, yeah, Garber here, go, go ahead. And, and, he, and he like whips his glasses off and then he like rubs his eye with the back of his wrist. And <laughs> he's like just telegraphing everything. And it looks ridiculous. It looked to me, it reminded me of when um, they cast a football player uh, in a musical in high school because they were so excited that, that the football player wanted to be in the musical. And they're like, oh my God, a jock wants to be in it? Let's cast him. That's great. He's really expanding his horizons and that's wonderful. And so we'll cast him based on his enthusiasm alone. And that's what this looked like. It was like this jock kind of, you know, acting like he was in an action movie, which he was. So I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what is he doing? And then I watched the playback um, on the screen. This is back to Denzel or the other guy? Yeah, back to Denzel. And, uh-huh. and so after this take that I thought looked ridiculous in person, I watched on the video screen, then playing it back. And I'm floored because he's, he's like really uh, communicating like what it would be like to, I, I, I don't know. I, I, he, it worked. It worked. Yes. And he knows how to communicate it to a camera. Exactly. Yeah. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. It was like, he was, he was using his instrument properly. He wasn't playing to, you know, PAs and extras like me standing around. He doesn't give a shit. There's only one lens that matters to him. And he knows how big that's going to be on a screen or there, or there's something that he's internalized in his body over the years and that he knows works. And it was, yeah, that was a huge, uh, opening thing for me to see. So, so he's the other side of like the movie, like sometimes a movie star shows up and you think they're doing a great job. And he's like, Oh wow, that's so-and-so. And then you get in the editing room and it's like, Oh, we only got one good take. And in this case, he's a movie star and he's a, a great actor. So that was cool. So be, you, 
you were an actor. Were you an actor before you you made films, or or you wanted to be a filmmaker, or or were both together? And and you, you don't do you still act? Um, I'm gonna be acting again soon. Uh, some uh, a playwright I've been working with decided that she wanted to write um, this short play based on some stuff that she's uh, been dealing with, and she's like, "Yeah, I think you should play this guy." And I was like, "Oh." awesome because i haven't i haven't acted in a while and that would be it's really really fun i used to do it all the time um like in in school and in college um and then but I, then i just had to make a make a switch in order to get anything <laughs> to get anything done because it's a long road to try to become like a a film director so it's like and and when i when it I met all these really great trained actors from mostly from NYU grad acting from, you know, different classes and stuff. And, uh, and when I realized that I could work with them and hone my skills as a director while having really good actors, like that, that was an opportunity to just kind of work on, on that and, and focus on being on that side of the camera because um, I was lucky to have, because like a lot of independent movies you see, or a lot of web series you see, it's people casting their friends, or or they're casting funny actors, or they're going to like UCB and stuff. And UCB is great, uh, but there's something about seeing all these web series about how Brooklyn is too expensive, and oh my god, my roommates suck. And there's something about the performances <laughs> that are like yeah. very sketch comedy, and then they don't get they don't go any further than that. And and I was lucky to be working with people who, like, were more working on character and stuff. Yeah. Did, were you in uh, NYU film school? No, I, I studied music composition actually up at at Bard College in upstate New York, which is really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was five uh, years old, so I. I kind of practiced, um, and, and it runs in the family, right? Yeah. My dad is a filmmaker. Um, he was doing it when he was a kid as well, uh, with his grandfather's, uh, no, with his father's, my grandfather's Bolex, uh, 16 millimeter. He made a, a version of the Tempest out on Cape Cod in, in like a wheelchair with the camera and a bunch of actors on this kind of long strip of Island out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, uh, so that same camera, when I asked to be a filmmaker when I was five and my parents said, no, you should wait till you're six, because I don't know if you know what you're talking about. Yeah. You haven't experienced enough. Yeah, exactly. What do you, well, what do you want to say? What is it that you like make a film about what? Um, uh, yeah. But then, you know, my sixth birthday was over and I was like, okay, guys, you remember how you said, like, if I still wanted to do it when I was six? And they were like, okay, fine. And, and they helped me out. And um, my dad got, got the Bolex camera out. Uh, and we set up, uh, you know, the dining room table. And I made a bunch of clay dinosaurs. And we did stop motion. And the rest will someday be history. Do you still have footage of that? I do. I do. It's called Ooh. Prehistoric Battle. So I've, I've been making films for... Uh, I don't know, 25 years or something. It's like really crazy. It's like 1990. Uh, yeah, I made my 
my first film. That's because I was six years old. So. And now you're finishing your first feature. I know. It took it took too long, right? <laughs> no, no, it's about right. That's like, you know, from when Leonard Yeah, finished, I know. You know yeah. I'm, I'm I'm the Leonard Cohen. I'm not Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, no. So what's the plan of attack? When is it gonna be released and what are we what are you doing with it? When what's the goal? Yeah, right now we're in that sort of weird purgatory. It's like um we're at a phase where like the last three or four years, like it's just a dream to know that the film is actually a film and not just like I was, I was walking upstairs to the office the other day and I was thinking, I, I was like thinking about Utah in terms of the screenplay again, for some reason I was like, yeah, I wonder if there's something about the midpoint. And I was thinking of it in terms of like the black letters on the white page. And then I realized Oh wait a minute! <laughs> it's actually a mo- like I, I, yeah, I'm talking about like arranging shots and stuff that we actually have. So it's um it's just great to have it. So now I'm w- w- how I'm trying to think about it and how I like thinking about it is you know the sort of artist and business person kind of dichotomy that you have to tread. And I I'm like when I get stuck in the art artistic place, I like to go to the business place and be like, okay, well, I said I was going to make a product for X amount of money and the plan is to sell it for X amount of money times whatever so that we make a return on it. And that helped clarify even why I was making it because you, know, you make a movie because you want to be a director or you want to be famous, for example, or something like that. And you want a good, a good career. Um, and, and there was a point at which I realized I was responsible to other people who were giving me money to to deliver something that was going to perform, and I'm like, you know, it freed it freed me up for some reason, or it clarified my purpose. And so right now we're in that phase where I've made the product. Um, besides having the sound design and the color correction finished, I have a movie that's watchable that we test screened a bunch of times to get some feedback from people. Um, but it's definitely, it's a movie. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, great. I've held up that part of the bargain and I feel good about that. And I feel proud of that. Um, but now it's like, okay, so we submit to festivals in the hopes that they get, you know, it gets picked up by some important festivals that are, that won't just like give you laurels or whatever, but can actually bring, distributors it like the kind of festivals where distributors will be there like a, a festival that's not just um you know uh, a congratulatory kind of fun thing in the woods for a couple of days that some people organized but something that's a marketplace i'm more interested in taking it to a marketplace than like having a you know step and repeat like pictures being taken and stuff going back to the fame thing I'm like, I, I was considering like putting a pen name on the movie, which I'm still thinking about. Um, cause I, you wait, know. what do you mean? Oh, like saying it's directed by somebody and like just having a different name. I don't know. <laughs> um, cause yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess. And uh, cause sometimes I don't like my own name for some reason. And I'm like, yeah, I should use this other name. Uh, and then once I kind of doubled down on using that name, I'm like, ah, my own name's not so bad. I don't know. I just kind of had to like test that. And, but I guess, and I don't know where that comes from exactly. I have to talk to, talk to my therapist about it. But like, 
Yes. Well, you know, it's kind of at this point, IMDb has your name on the film. Yeah. Is that this coming year you're hoping to be in the, the festivals? Uh, yeah, exactly. We we're you know, we're 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 submitting it to festivals without, you know, the completed sound design and color correction, because, you know, you, I think you can get an idea of whether or not the movie works uh, without those things. And and also there are certain deadlines that we just uh, wouldn't be able to hit if we waited to make it a fully polished, like sound design thing. Um, and are you doing the sound design and then score or soundtrack? He's great. Yeah. I wrote the score. Um, but the sound design is being done by these amazing people, um, called silver sound. Um, they won some Emmys and stuff and, uh, they're, they're going to start working. And I'm really excited about, uh, about that because um, it's so funny. I, I was I had a short film in the festival this fall, and I was watching some of the other films in the festival. And one one of them came on, and the sound was amazing. I was like, "Whoa, this is really atmospheric and really great." And man, these people know what they're doing. And then at the end, it was like Silver Sound, which are, they're they're friends of mine. I used to I used to um, compose music for projects that came through their studio. Um, so we go back ways so it was like um so seeing this short film a few months ago I was like even more excited to uh to work with them on Utah and they've known about Utah for a while they're like yeah when, when are you gonna make Utah so now that I've made it it's like yeah all right great now we can all like work on it and make it better and do some weird stuff and um, bring bring it bring it up yeah and it also sounds like you've done you know everyone I've spoken to who's involved in th things that take a long time to make. Uh, I was talking to my friend who, who's a director, Penny Lane. Oh, yeah. And some other people are like you, ha and, and people who've won awards and gotten up and made the speech. And they say that you the more you, you have those successes, the more you have to realize that the process is where most of the pleasure is. Absolutely. Because, because those moments are so anticlimactic that, 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 and you seem to be enjoying just the making. So that's, yeah. That's really what I enjoy most is, is, um, in terms of feeling, cause making it is really fun, uh, and nerve wracking and everything. But I guess in terms of like that feeling of fulfillment, uh, I get that out of screening stuff. Um, like even when I was making web series, We'd screen it at this place called Videology in Brooklyn. There are places, you know, there. Every bar has a projector <laughs> these days, so like you, uh, we we would take it to to bars in in our neighborhood and and screen it and try to get people out to see it because you know getting likes on a YouTube channel is like you know uh, it's okay, but um, screening it for audiences and getting like waves of laughter for moments that you weren't even going for a laugh like that's like the best thing ever and uh, you know i would do it would they would be few and far between but at the end of every night where we would screen something i would turn to jeremy and stacy my business partners and be like that's what i want like my life to be it's just it's just bringing it to people and hearing that it worked <laughs> um and yeah so and i don't you know i don't know what the other stuff is like um, in terms of like getting awards or having to give speeches or anything but like um well, be forewarned. 
to enjoy enjoy this part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and if the other thing doesn't happen, don't worry about it because it's not it's not as good because nothing can stop me from showing audiences and getting a personal reaction from people. And as long as that's true, then um, then I know what I like about you know I know what what feels fulfilling to me in that regard. So. The other stuff seems very political, and if you do get to a certain place that it's, you know, you should feel you should feel proud and that you deserve it and everything, but it's also only a more political extension of political and luck. Just ha- having having people in a room laughing at it, yeah, and luck, yeah. Well, I wish you the, the the best of politics and luck, and I'm sure I'm I'm, I'm confident I'll enjoy it. I I let me know about New York and, you know, other screenings, if, you know, especially if anything in New England, or if you want to try to screen it up here, if you, you know, if you have friends up in the five college area, you know, in mass, uh, I could help you try to find a venue someday when it's ready. Yeah. Hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll be screening it in a lot of, in a lot of places. I just want to get it out. Like that's my goal is to find a way to get it out, out there. (laughs) Well, Hey, I really appreciate that you got back to me before I I like made an episode where I gave the false uh, etymology of fame without looking it up. So that that really saved me from awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, because I, I really did. I know we 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 had scheduled to do this originally on election day, and and then there like Skype wasn't working for some reason, and so then we were like, okay, well let's table this, and then of course that happened yeah and so i didn't yeah because i don't know you very well since the election anybody who might be a potential guest i'm leaving alone unless they (laughs) come to me you know i'm in a different phase of mourning or whatever um so i'm because i had a feeling like that was the case um yeah so yeah it's good to it's good to talk to you man and yeah let's do it again at another phase uh and i'll see you down in the city sometime yeah, man, absolutely. Let me know when you're when you're when you're down here, please. Cool. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care, man. Ciao. You can learn more about Cameron Bossert and Utah, which is spelled exactly the way you'd think it would be, by Googling either of those things. Bossert is B-O-S-S-E-R-T. And I'm sure there will soon be a site for the movie itself. Happy New Year, everyone. I wish you better times than most of us are feeling like we've had in 2016 in 2017. Because it's the end of the year, I'm going to do the hyping. Please consider making a small pledge to keep us up and running by going to patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com, slash 15 minutes, Jamie Berger, one five minutes, Jamie Berger. You can find all of the episodes at 15 minutes, Jamie dot com. And you can find me on Twitter at 15 minutes, Jamie B. Same thing for Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook, where I often post little extra Famy tidbits. If you listen and like the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. In the coming months, I look forward to bringing you 
some great conversations with some fascinating, unfamous people, along with the likes of George Saunders, Amber Tamblin, Peter Mulvey, and gosh, a bunch of other people I have lined up but can't think of right at this minute. So stick around. Happy New Year one more time. Farewell, Prince Muhammad Ali, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, Carrie Fisher, and George Michael, to name just the people who have had the most effect on me in my life. Huge thanks to Ed Patnode for making this sound as pretty as possible, and to Anya Schutz for making anything visually associated with this podcast look as pretty as possible. Thank you so much for listening. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger. 